put Christ back in Christmas is a sentiment that pops up many times in many ways. Facebook and billboards and posters and church bulletins and Instagram and bumper stickers and leaflets put Christ back in Christmas certainly is a worthy idea, certainly very difficult to biblically oppose, but I'm just wondering, actually, is that going to happen on a global scale? Are we going to see, before Jesus returns, are we going to see Christ be put back in Christmas? I don't think so. The world has taken Christ out of Christmas, cheerfully, and the world is not in any hurry to put Christ back into Christmas. And so the world gives us its own spin on these days that we're in, Xmas and holiday trees and season's greetings and Santa Claus and the like. And to think that the world system has any interest in putting Christ back into Christmas is to think that the world wants to put cords back on telephones. <laughs> you might say, to use a figure, a word picture, you might say that the Savior born to die helium balloons have been released, and they aren't coming back to be a bouquet of balloons again. Not at least until the new heaven and the new earth. This time every year, I look at Christmas, and I conclude that it suffers from the eyes disease, the I-Z-E-D disease. Christmas suffers from that, you know. On a societal level, Christmas has been irreversibly commercialized and romanticized and monetized and monopolized and advertised and glamorized and traditionalized and merchandised and politicized and pressurized and popularized and fantasized and Hollywoodized and compromised. And Christ and his saving work is largely unrecognized. Certainly, Christmas has come down with a bad case of eyes. To say it again, the Savior born to die, helium balloons have been let go by the world, and they're never coming back again to a bouquet of balloons until Jesus returns to planet Earth. And this being the case, should the incredible body of Christ give up? Should we just resign ourselves that there's nothing that we can do about the removal of Christ from Christmas? Not at all. Early in my pastoral career, I was at a pastor's conference in Toronto, about 200 of us, in a large room of a hotel. The featured speaker was Dr. Stuart Briscoe. And in the question and answer time from the floor, a pastor stood up, and he basically said this, Toronto is an extremely multicultural mosaic of two million persons. These persons are here holding to many religions and worldviews. And in the most cases, they have rejected Christ and they're perfectly happy with other religions. How do you propose that we reach this city for Christ? And we all got quiet. <laughs> what was Dr. Briscoe going to answer? I'll never forget what he said with that British dry humor and personality. This is what Stuart Briscoe said in answer to that. He said, it's a well-known fact that the only way to eat an elephant is one forkful at a time. And that was his answer. 
the church will not be able to completely turn Christmas around to what it should be. The Savior born to die, helium balloons have been released. But the church, that's you and me, can turn individual persons around regarding Christmas. And how would we do that? We would do that simply by sharing the gospel with them. The turning of Christmas around in this dispensation or age of grace will happen one convert at a time, one person trusting Jesus Christ for salvation at a time. That'll only happen as we share the gospel. And so as we think about it, and as we share the gospel by which we are saved at Christmas, which is defined by 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, which says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it comes. Here's the gospel definition. For I delivered to you as first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The gospel is that Christ died for sins. It was predicted in the Old Testament Scriptures that he would, and he was proven that he died for sins. They buried him. He was raised to life after dying for sins. That was predicted by the Old Testament scriptures as well. And that was proven by the fact he was seen alive after being dead to Cephas and then to as many as 500 persons at one time. And so as we share that message in the power of the Holy Spirit with the love of Christ, we can see individual lives' perspective on Christmas turn to be what the Bible says Christmas is all about and to mitigate against the fact that sin's been taken out of Christmas by our society. And so this message is making the case that sin needs to be put back into Christmas Because it's only the putting back of sin into Christmas which will cure all the I-Z-E-D Christmas diseases that I went through. And it'll cure those I-Z-E-D diseases one believer in Christ at a time. One by one. Now, I can hear the objection. Maybe it's your objection. Maybe it's someone you know and loves objection. I can hear the objection about we need to put sin back into Christmas. Here, there's some objections that are out there probably. It's not a jolly thing to do, you know, Pastor. It's being rather negative. It would kill all the fun. In fact, you know, Pastor, that not everyone even believes there is such a thing as sin. It's getting too religious, you know. And putting sin back in Christmas would ruin everything. Now, when you step back and think about it, the notion put Christ back in Christmas is excellent, but is a little off-center, and here's why I think so. The notion of putting Christ back in Christmas deals with the symptoms of the disease. There would not have been a first Christmas if there wasn't any sin. And therefore, we could say theologically that sin caused Christmas. Ever thought of that? If there had been no sin in mankind, there would be no Christmas. No need for Jesus Christ to become incarnate so that he could die on the cross to pay for sin. Sin caused Christmas. Sin is the disease. 
It's wonderful that putting Christ back into Christmas addresses the symptoms of the sin disease. That is all those I-Z-E-Ds, commercialized, romanticized, monetized, monopolized, advertised, glamorized, tra- tra- traditionalized, merchandised, politicized, pressurized, popularized, fantasized, Hollywoodized, compromised, and Christ in his saving work being unrecognized. Of course, that would all be progress to see that reversed. But in addition, we need to start by putting sin back into Christmas. And then after that, putting Christ back into Christmas will make entire sense. And as with any disease, the sin disease is recognized so that it can be cured. No one will believe in a Savior until they accept that they need saving from their sin. Saving from their sin's penalty, saving from their sin's power, saving from their sin's pleasure. And as far as talking about sin at Christmas, ruining Christmas, will talking about cancer ruin everything for a cancer patient? Hardly. It just would be being real. It would just be being truthful. It would just be acknowledging the elephant that's in the room. What's happened, I'm afraid, is this. Slowly, ever so slowly, over many decades and centuries, Christmas fraud has been perpetrated, and the Christmas fraud that now is swallowed on the streets and under the steeples, that sin has nothing to do with Christmas. That's a fraudulent message. The lie that's accepted in so many quarters is that sin and Christmas are about as unrelated to one another as potato chips and spaceships. I'm afraid that we have become so emotionally involved in the midwinter festival that for most, the salvation from sin heartbeat of Christmas has become hidden underneath the songs and the presents and the trees and the parties and the turkey and the shopping and the football and the toys and the time off work. You see, the trappings for many have left the pulse of Christmas undetected. But... Thank God, the pulse of Christmas can be recovered, it can be redetected, but it will take putting sin back into Christmas for that to happen. And as I've said, this can only happen one person at a time, one salvation decision at a time. Now, with you, I want to look at Matthew 1, 18 to 25, under this title of Put Sin Back in Christmas. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. There are three headings I want to give to us as we go through these verses quickly this morning. The first heading is the mystery of his birth. That's 18 to 20. The second heading, the meaning of his name. That's verses 21 and 25. And third, the majesty of his mission, verse 21b. So here we go, the mystery of his birth, the meaning of his name, and the majesty of his mission. So let's start with the mystery of his birth. I'm reading verses 18 to 20 of Matthew 1. Hear the word of God. 
Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. Of course, the mystery of Jesus Christ's birth, the fact that is so mysterious about his birth that sets his birth apart from every birth before him, sets his birth apart from every birth after him, was that his was a virgin birth, a virgin birth. He was born to a virgin. And so the meaning of the virgin birth, I want to camp on with you a little bit. Christ's virgin birth means that the conception of Jesus Christ was without a human father. And so it was totally contrary to nature, completely supernatural, a grade A miracle. And what happened way back in Bethlehem was that the pre-existent Son of God supernaturally took on our humanity, entered the human family via a truly natural birth, but a supernatural conception. And so the virgin birth of Jesus Christ presented Mary's future husband, Joseph, with something both hard to believe and hard courses of response to choose. Basically, Joseph had two possible outcomes or courses of action to take when he learned that Mary, his betrothed wife, was with child. He had one of two things he could have elected to do. Number one, he could have made a public example out of her, and that is he could have summoned her before a court, had her found guilty of fornication, and then had her sentenced to be stoned to death by Jewish law. That was one course of action he could have taken, but he didn't. The second course of action that he could have taken would have been to privately break their betrothal engagement without assigning a cause for doing so. He also did not do that. Why? Because as reported in our passage, Joseph's dilemma was very unexpectedly resolved by an angel's announcement that Mary was supernaturally pregnant. Verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That must have caused him to pause and scratch his head and reflect and believe. And so from the meaning of the virgin birth, we want to go next to the importance of the virgin birth. Because of our human sin, there had to be a sinless substitute to die and to pay for our sin debt to God. And of course, the substitute had to be God in order that he would have the blood power to redeem. 
A human dying for a human, a human's blood for the one who died for the other, isn't efficacious. It's not beneficial. It's not redemptive. Only God's blood spilled for sin debt could make us to have a Savior. Just yesterday, Jehovah's Witnesses came to the parsonage and ring the bell. And I knew who they were. And I said, the Lord Jesus Christ is my savior. And the woman said, he is my savior too. No, he isn't. Do you know why? Because Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is not God. They believe that Christ is created by the Father Jehovah, inferior to God. So when I said, Jesus Christ is my Savior, theologically I was saying, he is God in human form, who had human blood, unique from all other human blood, and he died in my place, and it had benefit for eternity. And she could not say with integrity, unless she's ignorant to her doctrine, that Jesus Christ is her savior from sin because they don't believe he's God. They believe he's inferior to God, created by God, Jehovah. That's what they believe. But Jesus Christ had to be God. But on the other side of the same coin, Jesus Christ the Son of God, to become our sufficient substitute and sacrifice, then he had to become human. He had to become one with the human race. In order to truly represent us, in order to truly redeem us, a real human birth was necessary after a supernatural conception. It was also necessary that Christ be born of a virgin so that he would have no human father. That meant he had no sin nature passed on from a human father. That meant Jesus Christ was really unable to sin. Theologians call that his impeccability. Jesus Christ became human flesh while not diminishing the fact of being co-eternal, co-divine with the heavenly father the only father that Jesus had was the heavenly father and not Joseph, a foster father. <clears throat> really, the mystery of the virgin birth puts sin back into Christmas because it was the virgin birth which made possible a crucified Savior. And so from the mystery of his birth, let's go to the meaning of his name. The meaning of his name and we see in verses 21 and 25 of our passage the following. The angel is speaking to Joseph, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And then skipping down to verse 25, and Joseph kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In Luke 1.47, in Mary's Magnificat prayer, after she was told that she would be with son by the Holy Spirit, she would 
have the Messiah, bear the Messiah. After, in that song of praise and worship to the Heavenly Father, to thank him for that unbelievably honoring ministry, she said, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior just like we need a Savior. Mary is not a co-redemptrix with Christ. Mary isn't to be prayed to because when Jesus is too busy, she'll get his ear. She knew that she needed a Savior, and she knew that the child she had been given in her womb was that Savior. And so the meaning of his name, he was foster father was told to name this baby, this extraordinary baby, Jesus. In Luke 2.11, the angels in the chorus to the shepherds said, For today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior. It was Christ the Lord. <laughs> the angel told Joseph to name the supernatural baby Jesus. And the name Jesus means Jehovah is Savior. So his very name, Jesus, defines him as being the Savior. Therefore, to put sin back into Christmas is to give his name its full meaning. <laughs> There's more on this, though. To put sin back into Christmas is to be in alignment with three things. To be in alignment with the, what the angel of the Lord explained to Joseph in verse 21. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. So to put sin back in Christmas is to align with the message of that angel to Joseph. Secondly, to put sin back in Christmas is to fall into alignment with Mary's song of rejoicing, which I've just given you that very short excerpt when she prayed in her praise to God, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And to put sin back into Christmas is to be in alignment with what the angel told the shepherds in Luke 2.11, which I've also just read. For in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. And so this notion, this need of putting sin back in Christmas aligns with the central character's message of the true story. And so I repeat that putting sin back into Christmas lines up with Christ's name, lines up with the angel's explanation of his birth, and lines up with Mary's song thanking God for the gift of the child. And it lines up with the angel's declaration about all this. So far, we've seen that the mystery of his birth was a virgin birth. We've seen the meaning of his name, Jesus, it means Savior. And third and last, we come to the majesty of his mission. The majesty of his mission. If you look at verse 21, please. The angel is speaking to Joseph. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here comes the mission, the majestic mission. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. You know, Christ's birth and Christ's death are 
in line with each other. The cradle and the cross are one story. Bethlehem and Calvary are problem and solution. The sinless baby and the perfect adult are logically connected. The baby delivered and the deliverance from sin are a pair. The incarnation and the justification walk hand in hand. Advent and atonement demand each other. Oh, the majesty of Christ Jesus' mission. Spectacular salvation, rescuing redemption, righteousness for rebels, Christ-based acceptance for performance-based acceptance, hope and heaven. Oh, the majesty of Jesus Christ's mission. The majesty of why he was sent and the majesty of why he volunteered to come. All of these truths put sin back into Christmas where it belongs. And so two points in closing by way of conclusion. Put sin back into Christmas. Christmas is historical. Most deem it wise on other related topics to see the big picture, whether you're in business or school or solving a problem or leading a family or raising money. You have to see the big picture. You have to put things into proper context. You need to get all the facts. You need to connect the dots. I submit to us this morning, when you look at the true miraculous story of Christmas, we have to do that. We have to see the big picture. We have to put things in their context. We have to get all the facts, and we need to connect all the dots. And when that is done, (laughs) sin is not absent from the Christmas story. Sin is a driving reason for the Christmas story. Christmas is a true historical story. And when we see the big picture, when we put things in their context, when we get all the facts, when we connect the dots, we see that sin is a driving force that caused the Christmas miracle. So therefore, we don't go against the grain of God's will. We go against the grain of the world system, and we put sin back in Christmas. Tell our kids about it. Tell our coworkers about it. Tell our neighbors about it. But it isn't only put back sin in Christmas. Christmas is historical. It's also put sin back in Christmas. Christmas is personal. Christmas is personal. As recorded in Luke 2, verse 11, the angel said back then and still says this morning, there has been born for you, for you, A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so why don't you put me in that statement? There has been born for me a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's been born for me a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now let me point out the obvious. Born for me and received by me are very, very different. Born for me does not equal received by me. Just like bought for me and opened by me are not the same. Under your Christmas tree, if there is a package that was bought for you with your name on the package, but you 
don't open it for your own reasons, you don't have that gift. It's there for you. It was bought for you. But you don't have it as your gift until you receive it, until you open it. And so it is with salvation. Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins and my sins. But you don't have that gift of forgiveness and that gift of heaven until you receive that grace gift by faith in Christ. Trust in Christ, not trust in a church, not a trust in this church, not a trust in a Christian denomination, not a trust in working hard and doing your best for God, not a trust in philanthropic generosity, not a trust in anything or anyone other than faith in Jesus and only Jesus. When the person who acknowledges that they have a sin problem puts their faith, confidence, trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone, that person is saved. And the purpose of Christmas comes to pass in that individual's life. And things are never the same. When Jesus Christ becomes your Savior, you have the hope of heaven, the assurance of the forgiveness of sins, a desire to do right and to reject wrong, the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to make that rejection of evil and acceptance of righteousness possible. You're placed into a family called the church, and you have a message, a life message, to tell all that you can, as many as you can, that sin was the reason we have Christmas. Sin is the reason we have Easter. God and his love has made a remedy for sin. Do you know that remedy? It's easy to know the language of the Lord and not know the Lord. It's easy to know the jargon of the church and not be saved. It's very simple to rest on the coattails of your wife's faith in Christ or your husband's faith in Christ or your parents' faith in Christ. But do you have a personal faith in Christ? Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of salvation. Christmas is personal. One thing I was considering in preparing this message is that Satan knows all of the ins and outs of Christmas. He knows why the virgin birth took place. He knows why Jesus came and took on human flesh. Satan knows all the ins and outs of Christmas. That's why he motivated King Herod to try to kill the baby Jesus. And all the baby boys in that region under two years old were killed. Satan knows all the ins and outs of Christmas. And yet, of course, Christ wasn't born for Satan. And Satan couldn't receive the gift that Christ offers to us, even if he wanted to do so. Satan can't say, there has been born for me a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He just can't say that, but you can. Have you? Let me help you. Make this your prayer. Lord, I come to face my own sin. Many times in ways I've fallen short 
of your holiness. And I thank you that the Lord Jesus knows all about me and all about my sins. He knew all about the pain on the cross, but because he loved me, he went to the cross. And I believe this morning that he died and shed his blood to pay for my sins. I believe when the Bible says that you, Heavenly Father, raised Jesus from the dead, and I take great encouragement from that because it tells me that my sins are, in fact, paid for in full. Father, I'm sorry for my sins, and I want to live different. I want to live new. I want to live honoring you and telling others about you. I turn from my sins, and I run toward Jesus. Nothing is going to stop me from running toward Jesus in faith today. I trust Christ and only Christ to make me right and forgiven, to robe me, to dress me in Jesus Christ's righteousness. So, Father, when you look upon me, you see your son's righteousness, which has now been given to me. I know I can't live my new Christian life by myself. I need the Bible. I need prayer. I need Christian brothers and sisters who will help me, pray for me, teach me the Bible. I am prepared to go on that new road with my Savior. Thank you for making me clean. Thank you for making a relationship with you possible. Thank you for giving me a gift that I can never lose. Thank you. If you made that your prayer, God heard you. And God saved you. And God has made you new. And he's going to continue to make you new as you walk with him. If you are not from this church and you do not have a Bible-believing church, you're invited to this church. We would love to have you become part of our church family. If you are a part of another church, then go back to that church and live for Christ. The last thing I would say is if you transferred your trust to Christ alone and were saved in these moments, I want you to tell someone of that decision, of that transaction before you go to sleep tonight. Tell someone, Lord, thank you for this message that reminds us of the miracle of Jesus' birth. 
Thank you for the great joy to see that he came of a virgin. Thank you, too, that we see the meaning of his name, Jesus, Savior. And thank you together that we've seen the magnificence, the majesty of his mission. Help us to continue his mission by telling others about him. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.